Well, I think that what we look for, um, many times we can in our life say, Lord, do what, bless what I'm doing. You want to, you want to do what he's blessing. And so what you look for in that is you look for divine activity. And whenever you see divine activity, then you concentrate your energy anywhere around there's divine activity because you're going to be productive there. So that's good. So that's, I think you've seen some, whatever you saw, you saw divine activity. Yes. 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 When we got there, we got there, there was a guy chasing his old lady around the store, around the motel, cussing her. Fun. Yeah. So we just kept setting up. We didn't right. Uh-huh. Went with it and just asked for every demonic being to be pushed out of the situation before it's over with. Mm-hmm. We were over there, calm, sit down, and she was helping hand out there you go and see what you did there is you just introduced darkness to light that's all you did this is simple as that and so as Mike's done a little a little I don't know a play on it before he said can you imagine introducing darkness to light you're like oh hang on darkness hang on just a second let me go get my friend light wait darkness where'd you go wait Okay, wait, like, I'm sorry, I can't, I gotta go find him. He's real shy. Darkness, are you there? Okay, hang on. I'm going to introduce you to light. Okay, light, come on, he's here now. He's, 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 he's better now, come on. Where you at? He's gone again. See, that is, that's how, when you, all you need to do is introduce darkness to light. That's it. That's good. See, that's how we bring the kingdom forth through us as participants in the kingdom. Yes, Lily. I do too. I'm so glad to be back. Yes, yes. We're thankful too. Yes, Tommy. I, I want to just say one thing. Mm-hmm. I, I've heard it said a thousand times, and you know, you don't, until it actually clicks, you know, sometimes you don't, you don't gather just say, okay, you've heard it, okay, I'd like that to happen, you know, but so when it clicks, well, the, the, the teaching that's been coming from you and Mike both of God, quit asking God in your prayer time for him to do something for you. Mm-hmm. Ask God to do something in you and through, through you. you. Quit doing the asking him to do things for you, because when he does things in you and through you, those things that are for you, all these things shall be added unto you. So, that's what came to me mm-hmm. yesterday was He's working through you. That's good. That's good. Let's let's take these needs and praises to the Lord as we open up this morning. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you so much, Lord, for your great abundance that you have given us, Lord. We just invite you right now in this room, and I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would make your presence known, Lord God, that you would open up our ears to hear, our eyes to see. I pray, Father, for that heart that has come in here, that is that has questions, that need answers, Lord. I pray that revelation knowledge would come forth today. We give you praise for all that you've done. We ask, Lord, that you would meet every need, medical, physical, financial, emotional. God, in every way, we ask that you would meet needs, Lord. We thank you and we give you praise. Amen. This morning as I was getting ready, I, um, I, I had done my message and we're, it's entitled today, Watch Your Walk. And we're going to go to 1 John 2, 5 and 6 first. And I'm going to go ahead and read this. 1 John 2, 5 and 6. Watch your walk. 1 John 2, 5 and 6. 
I hear pages. It says, but the love of God will be perfected within the one who obeys God's word. So what is love perfected in? Obedience. We can be sure. How many of y'all want to be sure? I like that. We can be sure that we've truly come to live in intimacy with God. Not just by saying I am intimate with God, but by walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Now I'm going to read the, a different version just because I don't like how that one's worded. That was the Passion Translation. It says, but whoever keeps, let's see, he who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. I backed up to verse 4. And the truth is not in him. That's, that's pretty um, powerful, isn't it? That's a strong statement. Whoever says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. I mean, come on. That's, that's just, that's pretty black and white. I'm always getting pinged for being too black and white, but I don't think I've got anything on John. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him by this. We know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Wow. That was the New King James Version. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk just as he walked. Now, how many times, Mike, have you said the statement that Jesus is not the example for us? He's the example of us. Now, that's a little bit of a, a twisty thing for your mind. Now, here's how it lays out. If Jesus who came, he's fully God and fully man, and he did all the miracles that he did, did he do them... This is just a little theological question for you. Did he do every miracle that he did as God or as man? He was both, couldn't separate it. But now Philippians says this. Philippians says that Jesus did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. When we think of grasping, who do we think of? There was a famous grabber in the word of God. Ah, oh, Jacob, he grabbed the heel of Esau. He was a grabber. He was named for his name. What does it mean when you're grabbing for something? How many have ever called somebody, you're a little grabby? Are you giving them a compliment? No, you're not. So when he says, when it says of Jesus that he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and he put on the form of a servant. So what that says was, is that he did not come into this world walking in his divinity. He didn't. He laid aside divinity. I mean, what a step down Jesus took. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't come in asserting himself and his equality with God. 
He said stuff like, there is none good but God. He told us exactly how he did every miracle. I can do nothing except what the Father shows me. The created. He laid aside his divinity for the purpose of walking in my skin and your skin. And the Bible says in Hebrews, he was tempted at it all points, yet without sin. That he's a faithful high priest who has been touched with the feelings. He knows how we feel. He knows how we feel. So here's the thing. Here's the theological setup for you that brings the clarity to the statement Mike makes all the time is that Jesus came as a man and walked on this earth, born how every man is born, through the womb of a woman. And he walked as a man totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit to show him all that needed to be done. When he healed people, did he heal people because he's God? That's cool if he does, right? That's cool. That's awesome. The problem with that is it gives me nowhere. I, I can't do that. See, if he's God and he's healing and he's, he's touching lepers and he's like, man, the leprosy's being cured and he's doing creative miracles. He's picking up ears and he's laying them on and the ears are attaching. That's cool. There's no doubt about it. And you're like, and I'm like going, yeah, you're God, of course. But When he says things like, greater work shall you do because I go to my Father, what he's doing is he walked on this earth. Years ago, I asked Mike this question. We were, oh, how how long ago was it, Mike? We were, Lainey was a baby. Lainey's 30 now. And one day I was reading the Bible and I looked at Mike and I said, Mike, do you think that Jesus did all of his miracles in his humanity and not his divinity? And he said, I think so. I said, but that sounds really weird, doesn't it? He said, yeah. I said, so if that means he did all of his miracles through his humanity and not his divinity, then that means that's what I'm called. He becomes the example of us and not for us. And see, and he, I said, is that right? You know what he said? He said, yeah, I think it is. He said, but let's just not tell anybody. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Because we were, I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm 20. I'm 20. And I'm like, I'm just like, this is cool. Now it's taken years for me to take that and backfill revelation with enough theology that I can stand up here and say, yeah, that's what's happening. That So when, when Jesus, so if there's nothing for me to do, if there's nowhere for, if I'm just me and I can't, I can't collaborate with God, then that's cool that Jesus did it, but there's no room for me. But when the Bible says that in him was life and that life was the light of men, see, I've told you this so many times, his life is my light. And his life is my light, that means his life is my revelation of life. See, light is revelation. Life is dawning. Light is aha. Ah. Ah. That's who I am? 
So when James talks about looking into the perfect law of liberty as in a mirror, looking into a mirror into the perfect law of liberty, a.k.a. Christ, and then I go away and I forget what kind of man I was when I go into a darkened place where men are chasing women and they're cussing and yelling, and I don't know his life has not been my light, then I just feel like I'm subject to whatever's around me. And I'm like, ooh, this is creepy. This is weird. But when I know who I am, and I know he's the example of us and not for, I mean, he's the example of us and not for us, then I walk as he walks, as he is, as he is. How is he right now? Tell me where Jesus is, right? Tell me. Right hand of the Father. He's resurrected. He's overcome death, hell, and the grave. He's defeated sin as he is. His isness right now. His isness right now. As he is, so are we in this world. That happens to be me. Now, see, if we can't, if we don't have an understanding of that, you'll never have faith for it. You just won't. You will never have faith for what you don't understand. You can't. So that's what we're doing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. As the Word of God brings revelation into your life, then the faith to appropriate the promise also comes too. And then you begin to grow in faith and you begin to grow in understanding. The Bible says my people perish for a lack of knowledge. It should say for sin, right? No, it's a lack of the knowledge of what Christ has done with sin. You're not bound you're not depressed. You're not sick. You're not defeated. What do you mean I'm not? Well, if you're in Christ, you're not. You may be unaware of your level of victory. And now because of your lack of knowledge, your behavior is coinciding with your knowledge level and not with what God knows about you. So that brings us to Isaiah 53 and 1. Whose report? Will you believe? There's a lot of people, a lot of reporters in your life, a lot of correspondents. A lot of people bringing reports all the time about you. And it, it is your life, the level of victory is determined by how you walk and what report you believe. Now, as I was getting ready this morning, the Lord spoke to me something that's for this room. And I said, Lord, you know who you're going to need to be there. And so I just began to pray that the hearts would be prepared. And the Lord spoke to me about breaking word curses in your life. Now, let me just say what a word curse is. A word curse is a report. Whose report will you believe? A word curse is a report about you. Not only is it a report about you, it is a report that you have believed. See, nothing, we've all heard the statement, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Well, let's, let's just re, let's, that could be a very true statement. That could be a very, very true statement. But here is how it should go. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words that I don't believe can never hurt me. Sticks and stones can break my bones, and words that I do believe can utterly destroy me. And so as I was thinking this morning, the Lord said, there are people whose hearts have received word curses. 
And I was like, well, Lord, what do you want to do about that? He said, I want you to tell them that a report that has been spoken over them that they are believing has entered into the realm of their understanding and they are now working in a belief structure with it. Now, what are some reports or word curses? So when I say it, word curses like that, it sounds a little bit spooky, but when I just call it a report, all of a sudden I've just unplugged the spookiness from it. Hadn't I? See, it sounds like when I say word curse, there's like some sort of voodoo going on. No. It can be something as simple as from your childhood, someone saying, you're stupid and you can never learn. Well, how, now how is that a word curse? If you accept it and you say, I agree. And you may not say you agree, but you ingest it you assimilate it into your person, and then you begin to perform it through your behavior. So the Lord told me this morning, there are people working in their life under word curses, under things they believed about themselves. And these things are chronic. Now, when I was in elementary, second grade, I've told y'all many times I came from a very sketch family. That's just to say it mildly. You know what I'm talking about? And so it, when you're a child, you don't really know things yet. You know what I mean? You haven't had revelation of these like dastardly things. And so you're just like kind of blissfully unaware. And you think that everybody, you have this sense of equality, right? And you just think everybody's equal. And then because what people, then society starts letting you know where you're equal and unequal. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Through your peer groups, through friend groups, through words of others, and you start learning, you start getting reports. And now childhood is the greatest place to create formation, right? We know that. Now, when I was in the second grade, I came to school one day, and my best friend named Laura, she said she was crying. And I was like, what's wrong? I mean, we were, the reason we were best friends, our first day of kindergarten, there weren't enough chairs for all of us. And so we were both too afraid to address the teacher. You know how kindergartners are. So we shared a chair for like a week. We put, I put one of my butt cheeks on it and she put one of her butt cheeks on it and we put our knee on the ground. And our teacher just never noticed it. Because back in those days, first grade and kindergarten were in the same room together. I sound like Laura Ingalls, don't I? And so our teacher never noticed, but knew it. But when she saw it, then she obviously got us another chair. But in that time, me and Laura had become the very best of friends. And so we organized our clothes. We did what all little girls do. And then when I came to school in second grade, Laura was crying. And I said, what's wrong? She said, my mother. I said, what's, what is it? She said, my mother has told me that I can no longer be your friend. I said, why? She said, because you come from a bad family. I said, I do. <laughs> I do. And she said, and Laura said, 
I don't want to do this. She said, but my mother this year is going to be the, the classroom mother. So she's going to be up here all the time. And so this is what I, I mean, she's crying. This is second grade like drama. She says, this is what I'm going to do. She said, when my mother's up here, I'm going to act like I hate you. She said, but when she's not, we're still best friends. These are how second graders process. And so I said, okay, well, this woman, and oddly enough, I mean, this is recorded. Her name was Myra, which means bitter. It's true. She became a Satan, which means adversary, to me from that day forward. A Satan. Oh. No, not right now. Thank you. So, Thanks, Niles. <laughs> so she then became adversarial to me. Now, in second grade, I mean, how does a second grader process this? Now, I knew one thing. I was smart enough to know one thing. Don't tell your parents. Well, that something's wrong with them. That would be, you know, that's, that, you know. They're verbalizing this about my family. But my second reason for not telling my family is they would have proved what she said when my mom and dad committed homicide and burned houses down. It would have been like, you think I'm bad? I mean, I, I knew that as a child. I knew my family would go on a Viking raid. I'm not even over, Mike, am I overstating it? Not even a little. So I just, I'm not even kidding if my, I kept it so secret because if my family ever heard that they said this, it would be the end of this family. My dad would find a way to burn their houses. I mean, because what they said, it wasn't untrue. But now here I am in second grade. I have an opportunity. What am I going to do with this? Now, see, I'm not saved yet. And so what I did, I have my personality that I'm working with, right? My personality is still very much the way it is now. I have always been very vocal and assertive and a fighter. Fight, 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 fight. You know, that's just, it's just who I am. So I'm not a recessant personality type. I am a type A plus, 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 plus. And so that's just, it's just my personality. Not everybody's personality is that way. So what I internalized in that, a word curse was spoken over me. And I believed it. I received it. And now in within working within my personality, it had to go through the whole function of who I am and what spit out of that factory was this. I will be damned. I will show you on every front how strong I am. I will dominate and I will accelerate and I will take my hand to your skinny little throat and I will crush anybody who gets in my way. Now, some of you are like, good on you. 
Because we often prefer that as to being, right? But see, I was living out a cursed expression of my personality. You see what I'm saying? That was just a cursed. So, but the world champions fighters over non-fighters, right? The world champions those who poke back. The world champions those. However, the kingdom doesn't. Now, I'm not to say that what I did, I should not have done. I did the only thing that I knew to do. And so I stood my ground. And so in my mind, I said, hmm, that's fine. It won't bother me. And I would make another little girl would come to class, a new girl. And I would go, okay, she will be my friend. And so I would make friends with her. And Myra would call the mother. And she would say, I hope you know, Sheila's hanging out with Andrea. This is how this went on. Second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, five years. So, I continued to, anytime there was a competition, who won? Anytime, if there was a race, I won. If there was anybody to be crushed, I crushed. Because I was asserting myself to overthrow a word curse. Right? And you say, good for you. Mm -mm. See, what I was developing was a strength that was not seated in the things of God. And so then in my life, what I had to overcome repeatedly was my ability to get things done my own way. So see, that is flesh. And so many times, maybe that word curse would have come to another personality type and it would have made them reticent, and it would have made them afraid, and it would have made them shrink back, and it would have made them, that curse would have operated through their personality. It would have been no less flesh. It would have just been a different manifestation of it. And so many of you are probably finding yourself somewhere in that based on your particular personality. Again, nothing wrong with your personality. That's what the Lord gave you. But it's how your body, your whole personality becomes a little factory. You know what I mean? And something enters. And it's how your factory processes it. And so when I say all of this, what happened with the rest of the story? Well... When I was in the sixth grade, I had another best friend. I could find friends. Man, it I developed such great skills in me. I, was a, I could make friends just like that with anybody. Oh, they're cut off. I'll go to another one. I'll just keep going. I, I just had my mind. I won't be beat. I won't be beat. I won't be beat. So I had a friend named Pam, and we spent the night together. And we were, you know, it was like, it's just like, it was like Myra hated the fact that she couldn't do anything to kill me. A child, a grown woman and a child. And so finally, Myra, she calls Pam's mother. 
know the story. Rita was Pam's mother. They could all be listening to this. I hope they would. It'd be great. Rita, whenever, now I'm old enough that the, the slander has become of a different variety. Now she says, I hope you know that Pam is hanging out with a whore. See, the slander has now taken it to another level. And so every, for five years, I want you to think about this, for five years, what did every adult that Myra contacted do? They listened. They accepted it and they played it out. As I see, this work curse is not just working in me, is it? It's working everywhere. She's a Satan in my life. I'm not saying she's Satan. She's an adversary. Now, who planted her there? I believe the enemy did. But God works all things together for his good to those who love God and the called according to his purpose. And when I, was in the sixth, when I was in the fourth grade, the end of my fourth grade year, I stepped into that wonderful, blissful place of loving God and called into his purpose. When I got saved, I stepped into the kingdom. And now I have a different life and a different, my personality is still my personality. But the Lord is taking the kingdom reality that's growing inside of me and he's informing my understanding to develop a different outcome of my personality. And he's given me, making me into the very best version of who I'm called to be. But we still have to deal with this word curse. And all of the diabolical damage that it's done for five years. Do you know how long five years is? Is from second grade until sixth grade? That's a very developmental time in a human being's life. And so Rita receives the call. Rita tells Myra, I can't believe a grown woman would call me about a sixth grade girl and call her a whore when you know very well you're the only whore I'm talking to. As God is my witness. Because she came to me and told me what she said. And see, I had, and so in my life, I learned if, if anybody ever comes up to me to defame another human being, especially a child or an adolescent, I will be on you like ugly on an ape, like white on rice, like stink on poop. I guarantee you it will not be pretty. And I, have I done it, Mike? People have come to me with a word curse about someone. And I will, because I made it my life's mission to say, if that happens to in, in how the Lord used that. It has happened many times in my position because I have moved from the, the one who has the family that nobody wants to associate with. I have now moved into another arena as the one who is at the head of the church that you go to and everybody wants to associate with. Laura lives in Missouri. 
we're friends on Facebook. She reached out. She, I wasn't on Facebook yet, and she tried to find me. And we were pen pals even after she moved. The reason they moved, after, my, after, after Rita said what she said to them, I mean, it just like, and it was so funny how it broke. It broke that. I wonder, I hope y'all all get to be the one who gets to break a word curse over someone. And that you will have enough fortitude to stand up, even in the face of one of your peers, and declare, that's not true. Mike? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rita. She's our, he's, he's our Rita in the story. No. So when we look at that, and I tell you this whole thing, because I know in this room there are reports that have been circulating about you in your own mind for years. And no one has ever stood up and told you that's not true. And those word curses have been played out in your life in the activity of self-sabotaging behavior, in the, and it could be even in assertiveness that crushes others for your own, at your, for, for your own edification. Now, I'm careful here not to just put the level of the blame on everybody else. Because a word curse has no more power over you, but to the degree that you believe it and allow it. And many times in your life, you have used that as an excuse to do the things that you've always done, maybe to self-medicate, Maybe to soothe yourself. Maybe in an explosive response. I had all these things. And I could have easily justified my behavior, except for the one who had justified me, now had brought me into an invitation to live a justified life. And so none of those things were, all of those things were now discordant out of accord with the report that he believed about me. You see, when I'm talking about believing a report, I'm not just talking about what someone says and whether you agree or disagree. I am talking about the fundamental behavior of your life that says what you believe or what you don't believe. Because those who walk as Jesus, those who follow Jesus, must walk as Jesus walked. That means that you can only believe the report that he has spoken over you. And every other word curse that you have received into the gate of your life and you have internalized it and now you have, according to your personality, brought it forth in your behavior patterns that have now established your habits... That is for you and God to come to the realization of. 
Myra's house burnt down after that. No, my family didn't ever find out, and they didn't burn her house. I don't know what happened. Their house burned, and they moved to Missouri. That was before my seventh grade year. It was a, seventh grade was my best year I'd ever had. I had friends uncontested. I had no more adversarial content working against my life all the time. I had to constantly reach for friends that were far older than me, outside of her sphere of influence. Now, is that not the weirdest thing to think of a child living that way? But that is what a word curse does. It begins, it plagues you, and it just resonates in your life. And here's when it shows up, is whenever there's enough evidence in the circumstantial realm, circumstantial evidence in whatever you're experiencing, that it seems to agree with the word curse. You know what I mean? Like, there's circumstance going on in your life, something bad happened. And you take the equation of that something bad happenings and you empower the word curse and say, it must be true. And you come into an agreement with it. And then you manifest a behavior in accord with whatever has been spoken that is a lie about you. It could be the voice of someone saying, you're no good. You're stupid. You're a bad person. You're, name them, help me. You're ugly. You're not smart. You're fat. You're, too, you're just not pretty. What are some more word curses? You can't do it. You've never been able to do it. You're insignificant. You don't matter. You're in the way. Nobody likes you. You'll never measure up. Why are you even here? You're a mistake. See, now we've taken this. Now, see, all of these things. Now, I, I assume that every person has had some of these things operating in their life. And it's my understanding from the Holy Spirit this morning that they are still operating. And the Lord has sent me here to tell you that you cannot curse what God has blessed. That there is no lingering lie about you that has any truth in it. If you will simply decide today to no longer believe that about you, then you can unplug that from your life and God can bring forth a victory. Now, it may take a little while for you to develop new operating systems. And what I mean by that, new habits. Because you'll be surprised how easily you have just stepped into old places and walked in these habits. Like for me, if somebody were to come against me, man, I would so do what? Run and hide? No. Um, yeah. 
I'll get forgiveness in a sec. You know what I'm talking about? But see, I don't. And see, now what's so funny, what's so, what is so cunning about that is the world applauds my character. You see what I'm saying? People are like, that's good. But see, the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 no. That's flesh, sister. That's your flesh. And they that sow to the flesh do what? Reap what? Corruption. And they that sow to the Spirit reap what? Life. What life might that be? Oh, I don't know. Maybe the one that was in Jesus. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light of men is he is the example of how I am to walk. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I'm not a stubborn person. That's what's funny. Most people think I am. I'm simply not a stubborn person. That's stubbornness personified. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. That's it. That's my point. By your ability to outlive that. That's it. It wouldn't work on my side. See, and it won't work for you either. No matter what psychology or some sort of a self-help program is telling you, there might be moderate, moderate um, help in self-help. But what real help is self? I'm talking about the fact that you can't be the source of your salvation. And so to watch your walk, your first thing is, is that you have to be dead to any other report but the report of Christ. Now, that's easier said than done. Let me give you some scripture for that. You can go, who will read Romans 6 and 11 for me? Romans 6 and 11. I can probably get there just as fast as you and maybe should. I hope this is resonating with some people this morning because what I'm after is I'm after a behavior change in your life, not based on your willpower or your ability to do better or be better. I am after a behavior change in your life that is sourced entirely by the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God working effectively in you to where everything in your personality, it is as unique as your very fingerprint. You have as much potential as anybody in the world. The only thing that you may lack is a knowledge of who God sees you as through the lens of Christ. And you need to stop trying to repair something in your flesh that is quite frankly beyond repair. It's beyond repair. So the cross's invitation is what to you? Ah, oh, 
just come and die. Just come and die. You're like, that's not an invitation. That's a threat. No, no, no. That's because you hear it as a threat. When you understand the ineffective means of operating successfully in the kingdom of God through your flesh or finding anything of worth in your flesh, no matter how stellar your personality may be, no matter how tough you may be, no matter how athletic you may be, no matter how fast or strong or stubborn or smart or cunning or crafty. Now we're talking about Mike. You got to watch out for those quiet ones, don't you? They're sneaky. They'll work through and get, I mean, that's there. He's a, he was always cunning. He was crafty. He was sneaky. He was getting it done and you didn't even know he was getting it done. Me, you know what's going on. It's all right out here in the open. But see, both of them, one's not better than the other. They're both flesh. It's both flesh trying to source a salvation that is not sourceable from that arena. And so the cross has dealt with your flesh. How has the cross dealt with your flesh? By inviting you to come and do what Romans 6, 11 says. And it says... And okay, Romans 6, 11, the one word there, it's a good old country word. I like the key. I reckon. I reckon. Well, it's not so country. It's actually the Greek translation of it is um, logizomia. Now, I know you probably heard something in that word, didn't you? You heard logic. Yeah, that's where we get our English word logic from. Logi zomea. And it means this. It means to reason. It means to conclude. It means to think. It means to suppose. It means to decide. So to reckon yourself dead... It is coming to a mental realization. It is a place of deciding, of choosing, of saying, I am crucified with Christ. And putting your faith, see this is a faith journey. It's putting your faith in the reality that you are indeed dead. Do you see how I have just Pulled the plug on every addiction and malformed behavior in your life? Do you know how I've done that? Maybe you suffer from a spirit of offense. How many dead people have you ever been able to offend? I worked at a funeral home, tried it one day. I walked in there and the, the funeral home, you had to, now this is gross. I went to work there. I worked at an oilfield company and the guy who owned the oilfield company also owned a funeral home. He called, he one day he said, hey, Andrea, I need you to go work at the funeral home and get it in order. What? So when I first went to work there, I would be in my office and if they brought a body in, they had to close my door. I was freaked out. I wouldn't go to the funeral home if there was anybody laying in state. That means dead bodies. I mean, the, the prep room door, it by law has to be closed. I'm like, yeah, buddy, it better be closed, the prep room. I wouldn't even walk in the back door because you had to go buy it. You know, we picked up a woman one time who was badly decomposed. This may be too much information for you, but they liquefy. So she poured out on the floor a little bit in front of the prep room. Every time I walked in, I'd go, whoa. <laughs> 
We did change the carpet eventually, but there was a stain on the floor for a little while, and I just wouldn't step on Mrs. Johnson. So that's my funeral home. So I finally got so comfortable with dead people, it no longer bothered me. I would go there. I'd walk into the stateroom. You had to go check them because dead bodies will leak. They will. So you'd go in there, get a little tissue. Mr. Williams, let me help you, sir. I know it sounds gross, doesn't it? And so I finally, one day I go, you, Mr. Williams, no offense, but you're ugly. It didn't bother him at all. He was not embarrassed that he was leaking. He, he didn't care what his wife had put on him. He didn't care one thing. I could say, Mr. Williams, you've never looked worse. You look dead. No, it didn't matter. You can't offend a dead man. Now, do you see all of a sudden how death became the greatest liberation in your life? You're now free from insult. Somebody tries to offend you. You know you're not dead when you get offended. This is how I know it. These are my checkups. I'm like, that really hacked me off. Here's me. This is me. You know, somebody says, something happens, and I'm like, my, I feel my nostrils flaring. I feel my heart racing. Just a little bit. You know what I mean? That vein right there. It pops up for many reasons. Don't try to use that as an indicator. It's, yeah, but if I'm mad, it will. Jaw clench a little bit. And so then I know. You know what? I'm i I got to go back to my reckoning. I just reckon. And see, here's the reality, guys. The more you can make that journey really quick and reckon yourself dead, come into the, decide to be dead. Decide it. Andrea, decide to be dead. Are you dead? This is my little thing. I, what's wrong with you? Why are you offended? You're not dead. I have to go back and go, whose report will I believe? The Word says I'm dead. The Word says I'm dead. The circumstance is trying to tell me I'm not dead by ticking me off. But am I going to believe the report of a stupid little circumstance and surrender my victory and start believing that and acting out in a behavior that's concordant with the circumstance and surrender my victory and my walk? I ought to walk as Jesus walked. And so when I, y'all see what I'm saying, how I do this? I'm telling y'all how to walk in absolute victory. Death. And what will happen is, see, this is how you daily take up your cross. You affiliate and associate yourself with the work of the cross and your, I have been, I'm endorsed in. Like how many of you understand insurance? Like an endorsement is added to the policy and it becomes a part of the policy, even though it's added on at a later time of the policy's writing. The Lord has just given me this right now. This is great, God. Thank you. So what happens is, is that when you came to Christ, see, the cross was the policy that's enforced between God and the world, all humanity through Christ. God in Christ formed a covenant, a policy, if you will. It has its declarations page. It declares what is accomplished in Christ. 
And God, do you think God will honor that policy? Darn tootin' he will. He will utterly honor that policy. And so when I came to Christ at 11 years of age, what happened was is there was an endorsement that was added to the policy. And my life became a part of that original policy. Now, everything that is in that covenant policy is also mine. And so when God sees my life, he sees the old Andrea with every word curse spoken to her. All of it was nailed to the cross of Calvary and it became dead. All the curses that were against you died with Christ at the cross. And then you resurrected a new life. My life became endorsed into that reality. And so I reckon myself dead. So death is not a threat of the cross. Death is not something else for you to do in your religious doings. Death is something for you to reckon yourself as. And when you reckon yourself dead, what does it matter what was said about you when you were a child? That was said about a dead man. That was said to a dead man. And it will get as much rise out of me as it will, that dead man. So I know when you've gotten this, when your behavior stops partnering with the lie, with the report. Does this make sense? So when we walk in bit, we have to reckon ourselves dead. And then the next thing we have to do, and we're going to close with this. We have to put the word of God in our mouth. This is why I'm so big on you knowing the word. It's not because you're trying to please, the, please God by knowing the word. You couldn't be any more pleasing to God if you tried. You know why? Because Christ has already pleased him perfectly. And for you to please him with anything other, with any performance that you have, would be to take away some pleasure he has in Christ. So the only thing that you can please him by is what the word says, is with your, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So all it takes is your faith in the 100% completed work that Christ has done and reckoning yourself dead. The more you reckon yourself dead, the happier the Lord becomes. Y'all should just be turning backflips. I have just broken every word curse that's ever been spoken. I have just ended alcoholism. I've just ended pornography addictions. I have just ended the spirit of offense. I have just killed fear. I shot it right between the eyes. I took everything that was against you, that was working, that was tempting you to agree with it, and I just shot it right in the head and nailed it to the cross. And I said, you're dead. That's all dead. Now go ahead and live resurrected. Now go ahead and live in victory. Now go Go ahead and live in peace. And when those lies try to come back to you from your past, you just say, shut up. That's not true. And I'll know if you actually believe what you're putting in your mouth. Because your behavior will line up eventually. Now, the Word of God says this, and we're closing with this, Leviticus 11. In the Hebrew diet, they could only eat clean animals and not eat unclean animals, right? This is going to be a little fun. So a clean animal was, had a cloven hoof and chewed the cud. 
You can eat it if it chews the cud and splits the hoof. You can eat it if it chews the cud and splits the hoof. You can eat it if it chews the cud and splits the hoof. Rabbit, chews the cud. Doesn't split the hoof. Pig, splits the hoof. Doesn't chew the cud. Now, you're like, why are you telling me this? Every time a Hebrew ate, they had to consider what? Before they put something in their mouth, they had to ask themselves the question, is this clean? Is it unclean? And guys, if you would just ask that one question of everything you put in your mouth. I'm not talking about food. I'm talking about the words you put in your mouth. Does it chew the, is this something that's worthy of being brought back up and, and chewed on over? And uh, will it nourish you continually? Let the book of the law not depart out of your mouth, but meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do. Oh, that's a, that's a divided hoof. You see, it's a divided walk. You've got to have a divided walk. You can't walk like the world, talk like the world. You need a divided walk. I don't walk like the rest of the world. I have a divided walk. I chew the cud. I put the word in my mouth and the word nourishes me. And it goes into this little pocket in my, in my understanding and I ruminate on it. And I can just, I know it. I know it, Dolores. I know the word. At any moment, I can just bring up a scripture apropos for any lying circumstance coming against me. I can bring it up right out of my reservoir. I feel so sorry for you if you don't have a reservoir of the word of God that you can wake up in the morning. This morning I woke up and I said, oh, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. He gave me this day back in Genesis when he created days. These are all his days. And mine is to rejoice. I want to glorify him. I have. I chew the cud. And I divide the walk. Don't put anything in your mouth that is unclean. Anything. You need to stop slandering yourself. Don't put it in your mouth. Don't speak it about a brother or sister and don't put it in your mouth and begin to agree. That's where you begin to assimilate the lies is right in your own mouth. As you chew on them, they begin to nourish you and then you begin to manifest the very nourishment that they have provided for you. What do you reckon yourself? What do you reckon yourself, Tommy? I'm asking, what do you reckon yourself? What do you reckon yourself? I'm asking you for the scriptures, all I'm asking you. It's not a hard question. Stacy, what do you reckon yourself? Dead. I'm dead. I'm dead. Every word curse spoken against me died at the cross. The devil tries to remind me of that. I go, Pfft. That's in the cross. Dead. Dead. I reckon myself dead. And I check with what I'm putting in my mouth. Is it clean? Is it unclean? Is it, does it have a cloven hoof? And choose the cud? See, that's a great little analogy for you to go through. I pray today that the Lord would disenfranchise you from any word curse 
even, and here's where it's going to get hard for you. You thought it was going to be easy. It's so much a part of your lazy identity. A lazy identity. You'd be surprised at how much that old man and those old curses and those old behaviors have entertained you, comforted you, and been a confidant to you. Been an easy reach, a soft chair to fall into, and a valid excuse anytime you needed them. But when those are dead, they're all the way dead. And now you get to explore walking in newness of life. Amen.